we'll see what uh, God has laid on his heart. So would you welcome this morning uh, Evan Herman. And kids would like to be dismissed for the back of the classroom. They can have some other activities. Thank you. Good morning. I guess I could have pre-sent you a bio, but I didn't think of that. Well, thank you for letting me come here today and to give an encouraging word through the scripture. As I was preparing, I came across what I felt like God put on my heart was Romans 6. And there's this idea within Christendom of living a life free from sin. And that is much easier said than done. Does anyone else fall into that category? Like, it is easier said that I want to live a life free from sin than to actually walking it out. Okay, so I'm not the only one. Just you, Aaron and me, the rest of you are saints. Okay, so Aaron, I'm just going to come over here and you and I will have this conversation, okay? So my entire life, I have felt condemned, bogged down by sin, and I've never felt good enough. And as I was reading Romans, we're going to read out of Romans 6, and it's going to be 1 through 14. And I'm just going to read it all, because that gives us the basis for today's sermon. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were there buried with him through the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, let me address this here. Can you still hear me? Okay. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. No longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that, you may, so that you won't obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. 
there's this imagery in here that talks about being an instrument of sin versus an instrument of grace or righteousness and mastery. Now, I have played the guitar for a long time, and I haven't played for quite a while. I don't feel like I have mastery over the guitar. I never did. But there are people in life who have shown up consistently to an instrument and mastered it. And when I think about mastery over sin, God is calling us to master our mortal bodies, to live in the power of the resurrection so that we are no longer slaves to sin because he's already freed us. And I feel like so many times as Christians, I've come to Christ with this mindset, God, help me overcome this sin. Help me to do better in this area. What I've realized in my life is that Christ has already freed me from sin. He's already forgiven me, but he's already freed me. And if I remain in sin, it is my choice because I have not mastered my own flesh and surrendered that process to him. Does it mean you're going to be perfect? No. By no means are you going to live a life of perfection from some point forth. But we can have mastery over our flesh. What's unique about this process, because it's like I said to Aaron earlier, him and I who struggle with this, it's easier said than done. So what does that process look like? Scripturally, I feel like there's multiple things that help us in the process of mastering our flesh, but it doesn't focus on the flesh. It focuses on Christ. It doesn't focus on us doing something to be a better person, but it focuses us on being with Christ, and then as a result of that, we have mastery. But where the attack started, I feel like when Satan attacks most people, it's in an area that always originates with unity. If he wants to attack my marriage, it has to do with unity. It has to do with my identity. And what I find so interesting is one of the very first attacks was to Eve's unity and identity with God. And I want to read this. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God... Oh, sorry. I jumped ahead of myself. I want to read this. It's Genesis 1, 26 through 28. God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them, both male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, roll over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the sky and all over every living creature that moves in the ground. So God created us in his image. In another earlier verse, it talks about how God would walk with Adam in the garden. So God created us in his image to be in union with him to rule over his creation. That was the intent of why he made man so that, again, we could be in union with him and rule over creation. And so going back to what I was saying is Satan likes to attack at the place of unity and identity. 
Genesis 3, 4, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's going in there saying, hey, you're not actually like God. As a matter of fact, God is a little bit different, and he's withholding from you. So immediately, the very first targeted aspect of temptation comes to disunion and identity. I think the devil attacks at unity because unity offends him. And when we are united with Christ in our life, in our death, in the burial, in the resurrection, and according to his purposes that God has given us to live out here on this earth, there's another thing that it does. It threatens his kingdom that he's trying to establish here on earth. And we see this in Matthew twelve twenty two through 28. There's a lot of scripture in this one. Just preparing you. Jesus knew, this is when Jesus was casting out the demon. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or a family splintered by a feud will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcist? They cast out demons, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. He attacks at the place of identity. They're trying to identify this division by saying that Christ was united with devil because he was casting out demons. But then he talks about that actually a kingdom against itself cannot stand. Which is why the point of identity when we are attacked, when it comes to our sin, is crucial. Because if you identify yourself as a sinner, then it's much easier to be trapped and being held by that sin. When you identify with the cross, the resurrection, the power and authority of Jesus Christ, when that becomes your identity, you're no longer living from sin and the view of yourself of sin, but you're living from the power and authority of the cross, the healing of the cross. Your identity shifts. You're living from what God has done and the future who he's calling you into, and then you're leaving your past. But what Satan wants to do is he wants to hold us down by our past. When we are united with Christ and we surrender to him, we are immediately identified with him and our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what scripture tells us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is a new Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to him through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. There's a couple things there that we're going to get into, but what I want to talk about is 
when you are dead to yourself and you become a new creation, that identity is immediate. Your name is written again in the Lamb's Book of Life, like I said. But I'll tell you this, even though Christ sees us immediately as a new creation, it's a process in my heart and in my own mind that I still have to walk out. Because even though Christ has identified me with that, my carnal nature doesn't. And that's because of all the sin that I've had in my life. And there's a process of transformation that has to consistently take place. It's not a one-time thing and done. There are times in my life where I've had amazing seasons. I'm like, wow, God, I was just, I felt like I'm doing really well in this season. And then I'm in a harder season. I'm like, oh, man, what am I doing wrong here? What I've realized, our identification with Christ has to be lived out over a process, and we have to be renewed day by day. Romans 12, 22, do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn and know God's good will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's a process. It takes time. It's a daily something that I find unique in the Bible is when Jesus was sending out the 12 disciples in Matthew 10. And he told them to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And he was sending them out to go witness. And he also told them, oh, and by the way, all these bad things are going to happen to you. Not just in that moment, but kind of of their life to come that you're going to be persecuted, that you're going to be taken before governors, that people are going to flog you, that brother will turn against brother. All these things happened in this moment when he told them to be wise as serpent, harmless as doves. And I decided to... I hate snakes. My brother had a snake growing up named Edgar. It was a bull python. One time, it got out My brother lived down in the basement. It was a three-story house. The snake came up to the middle story and got in my bathroom. Needless to say, it took me months to use my bathroom after the snake got put away because I was so scared. Like, I hate snakes. But through this process, I was like, well, why? What's so unique about the snake other than it being cunning? You guys, have you ever heard of the word molting? A a snake shedding its skin? A snake sheds its skin because it actually produces growth. Unlike many mammals have scales that do not grow with their bodies, a snake's growth becomes through its skin being stretched out, and then it can accommodate a different size to facilitate growth. Snakes shed their old skin to reveal the fresh and large layers beneath. Going back to what Jesus was saying, be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And then in saying, hey, you're going to face all these things. It sounded a lot like Christ was saying, don't get offended. All these bad things are going to be happening to you. But I still want you to go preach the kingdom. And it's very hard to preach the kingdom of reconciliation as we see in 2 Corinthians 
and through 19 if you're offended. And so when we're becoming into this new creation, we're working through our identity. We're working through our unity with Christ. We're having to let go of offense. And golly, that's, that's one of the hardest things for me sometimes, especially in marriage. It's very easy to get offended in marriage. A snake rejuvenates itself over time. Sorry, a rejuvenation. Over time, a snake skin accumulates scars, parasites, and debris. But by shedding, snakes effectively remove the unwanted elements. This process not only enhances the snake's appearance, but also to help maintain healthy functional scales and protection. And I'll just quickly go on down the list. It gets rid of old wounds. It gets rid of parasites. It gets rid of damage, debris, trauma. Another interesting fact is when it sheds, it helps it adapt to new environments. Environmental changes such as temperature, humidity, daylight can influence a snake on how it molts. But when it sheds its new skin, it helps protect it from its current environment. When we become one with Christ, after working through the process of identifying with the cross, having our identity in him, then comes this portion of, I identify with you and now I'm unified with you. We see it in Romans 6, 5 through 6. I want to go back to it. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united in the resurrection. As we are unified with him, our identity goes from an inactive state of looking at Christ, feeling like you don't belong, to, okay, now I'm identified with Christ. Now I'm operating in more union. Now there's more of an active participation. Through this process, I want to go back to 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to look at verses 20 through 21. And as we're there for Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin, and for us so that in him we might become his righteousness. I'm going to read verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself and in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So we see this timeline. First, we recognize that Satan attacks at unity and identity. And once we can work on our identity in Christ through this process of unity and surrender, then we see this portion of us changing our old image in our own mind because Christ has already given us identity with him. So that process in our life is being worked out and renewed daily. And then as that happens, day by day by day, 
then we start recognizing the power and authority of the resurrection of Christ and the power that he's given us. This power and authority isn't something that's in the distant future, but it's here and now for us. Luke 10, 18-20, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on the snake and the scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Jesus has given us authority over our enemy because we are living in the power of his resurrection. Have you heard of the scripture, Matthew 18, 18? If you bind it on earth, it will be bound in heaven, and if you loose it on earth, it will be loosed in heaven. Have you heard of that before? What's unique about the scripture is binding and loosing are Jewish legal terms in that day. And a more accurate description or translation would be, instead of what is ever bound on earth will be bound in heaven, probably a more accurate description of that would be whatever is bound in heaven will be bound on earth, and whatever is loosed in heaven will be loosed on earth. When that scripture was spoken, Jesus was inferring that he was giving the keys to the kingdom to Peter. And through this process, it was to commission him to go expand the kingdom of God. And through this process, what we see is with the binding and loosing, the power and the authority isn't from this side, but it comes from heaven. So the reason why I say a more accurate translation would be if it was bound in heaven, it would be bound on earth. We can see this specifically worked out in a couple different scriptures. In Matthew six nineteen through 13, Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thou will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So where's the power coming from? Heaven. John 15, 9, Jesus exclaimed, I tell you the truth, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does also. So, so many times, when we've looked at binding and loosing things in our life, we realize that the power and the authority come from the resurrection of Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father. So we have all the power and authority of the keys of the kingdom who have overcome sin in our lives. I don't have to pray sin away. I've tried that many times. It just doesn't work. Because he's called us to be masters of our flesh. But to be masters of our flesh, it requires us to have our identity rooted in him, to be unified with Christ, to understand the power and authority that he's given us, but also to be renewed day by day, as we see in Romans. And then in Ephesians 6, we're to put on the whole armor of God, right? The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of, the belt of, the blank shoes, gospel shoes, the sword of the spirit. Okay, let me ask you. If we were to take 
each one of those things and break them down, it's a person. Who is salvation? Jesus. Who is the righteous one? Jesus. The truth. The gospel. Jesus. According to John 1, Jesus. We're literally putting on Jesus. And so what happens is our focus so often when we're struggling with sin is the sin itself. But there's an actual psychological perspective that says what you focus on expands. So if you're praying away sin in your life, you're only focusing on the sin. But when you look at the power and authority that you have in Christ, when you look at the identity, when you look at the union, and you start focusing in on those things, and then you're in this process of being renewed day by day, then over time, sin becomes less active in your life. When we do this, it goes back to 2 Corinthians 5.17, towards the end of it in verse 19, where it talks about being called to the ministry of reconciliation for the kingdom. So when God made man originally, the original intent was to be in union with him, to subdue the earth and rule over it. But when sin came into the world, it changed the plan slightly. We needed Jesus, who rescued us from our sin. And now that we've been rescued and we're called again in unity with him, our new mission is no longer to rule over the earth, but to reconcile it. So when we live in this active stage of understanding our identity, being united with Christ, understanding the power and authority that we've been given. The power of sin is broken in our life. And when we live in that, then it makes proclaiming the gospel and being a church that appears to a hurt and broken world who's in need of rescuing, and it makes it far more attractive. And as we're doing that, we cannot forget the part of going unto all the world and preach the gospel. Because a part of that reconciliation in our own lives is to be a part of the reconciliation in others. I have a friend that um, once told me, if you can't get a miracle, be a miracle. And so many times, we can be a miracle in other people's lives by simply showing up and saying, hey, I struggle with blank too. This is what God has been doing in my life to help reconcile me to him. He died on the cross. I have a new identity in him, and he doesn't see that sin. But in this process, my heart and my mind and my spirit and my soul have consistently need to be renewed. Because if I'm not renewing it, it is going to fall back to the carnal nature of seeing myself through the lens of sin versus seeing myself through the eyes of Christ. And when we put on Christ's perspective and how he sees us, it helps us to live in that unity with him. And it helps us to put on the armor of God. It helps us to stay away from the offenses. And then through that process, we can live in the power and the authority of the cross. And when we do that, the power and authority that he's given us to reconcile the world back to him.
I'm going to go this direction. The sermon is done. But is there anyone here that says, you know what, I've seen myself in the flesh. I've seen myself in a way that God isn't meant for me to view myself. And I need to renew the way I view myself as the way Christ sees me. Is there anyone here that struggles with that other than me? Because I still struggle with that. Anyone at all? Or is it just me? It's not just me? Okay, good. Some of the phrases, if you're that way, raise your hand. Okay, cool. Great. I'm talking to uh, people just like myself. I want to pray for you. And you don't have to come up. I'll just pray from here. God, thank you for my brothers and sisters that have raised their hand. Lord, you see their hearts and minds and how they struggle with viewing themselves as a son and daughter united with you. God, I thank you that this lie from the beginning of time that Satan was deceiving Eve with is the same deception that he's trying now. But you have shown us through your wonderful mercy how you've redeemed us from that. So, God, I thank you that our perspective begins to shift about how we see ourselves from a sin perspective, but through the lenses of Jesus Christ. And how you've called us unto yourself through the death, the power, the resurrection of the cross. And to be united with you in both living in a holy life and reconciling the world to you. So, God, I just pray the power of the Holy Spirit, that there is power and boldness into the lives of my brothers and sisters, Father God. That you strengthen them and that you encourage them and that we ask that you remind them in times of feeling ashamed or doubt or even tempted that their identity is in you, that they are secure in you, that they are in union with you. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the death, burial, and resurrection, that they are operating over the power that sin has to the mortal body. That they are operating the power with the keys to the kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for letting me come today and to give this word. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I will turn it back over to you, sir, or you, Aaron.